I'm Chris, and even though I'm already bleeding somehow, I'm nonetheless (laughs) hoping to survive this final AEW episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. And I'm Megan Bob, and I'm the one mopping up the blood in this unsupervised, dangerous experiment. This is the AEW Wrestling Fan, an AEW review podcast for anyone who clicks download. That is true. It's for everyone. Oh, now wait, 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 wait. Yes. Are you the one sick motherfucker who doesn't want to see Jade Cargill's tits while she's dressed up as Chitara? If you are, leave now. (laughs) If not, this podcast is for you. This week, we quote Embrace the Hammer with the November 19th, 2022 pay-per-view Full Gear. Hello and welcome to an episode that's too big to fit into one chunk. Don't worry, we just didn't want to have that classic porn viewer reaction moment where you see it and you're like, (laughs) under no circumstances is that entering my body. Yes, there's a lot here, but we're not doing this dry. I've recruited Chris Newton to liberally lube this pay-per-view with comedy. And I don't think we should wait any longer on this. Chris, there is so much to get through. Take it away. All right, I'll jump right in. I just want to say that we improvised the opening, and the fact that the listener is now imagining me soaked in blood does give a different sense to the idea that I am lubricating this podcast. I'm going to rub my palm against my forehead and fucking slap you with this podcast. That is the sense in which I'm lubricating it, which will make sense after we talk about the first match. (laughs) Well, you're getting a real feel for what AEW does best. commentary team for tonight is Excalibur, JR, and Taz, though the booth will change throughout the night because asking Jim Ross to do four hours of commentary, that would be cruelty, not just to him, but to everyone at this stage. He has a certain amount to give, uh, (laughs) and a certain amount is definitely less than four hours. Speaking of JR, (laughs) he notes that we're starting the night with a cage match, which speaks well of this card because cage matches are something special, Uh, and I hope that positioning of the cage match as a wrestling phenomenon, does something for you because we're going to hear a lot about this match type as it unfolds in front of us. You know how people stereotypically talk about a romance story where New York City is a character in its own right? Oh my god. This this cage match has five characters. Jungle Mm -hmm. Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, the cage match itself. (gasps) Oh my god. And commentary's strong opinions about the cage match. Match number one. Luchasaurus versus Jungle Boy. Christian Cage enters to his highly unremarkable theme. I forget it every time. Mm-hmm. Those of you who were not around for it should definitely check out his first solo theme after he split from Edge in WWE. That is worth a listen. Good pyro, too. Anyway, those were his glory days. These are not. He comes out, he sighs, then the lights drop, and Luchasaurus walks down the ramp with Christian in a fire-themed entrance with flame pyro and falling fireballs in the entrance video, which seems... Insensitive to dinosaurs. <laughs> like, Look, he's had 65 million years to get the <laughs> fuck over it. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, I I was thinking this through, truly. And, like, if WWE ever had a star who had survived the sinking of the Titanic, his entrance video would definitely have been, like, spinning unattractive word art of his name bursting through an iceberg. It's, it, it's, <laughs> wrestling treats everyone this way. Dinosaurs aren't special. Jim Ross comments on how much he likes the simplicity of this version of the cage match. Pinfall or submission to win. It's in a cage. You can use it as a weapon. That's it. Excalibur notes that cage matches only happen when there's no other choice because of bad blood between the participants, which is classic narrative positioning for this match type. On one hand, I am exactly the target audience for cage match opinions. I I prefer an escape cage match, if you want to know, which I know that you don't. Uh, On the other hand... I instinctively feel as though JR and Excalibur are blocking the merch table and should go out to the parking lot to have this conversation. I just, something in me is just like, you fucking nerds, get out of the way. (laughs) Wow. Takes a lot for another nerd to say that. (laughs) Excuse me, I am trying to buy a t-shirt. 
Then the crowd pops big time for Jungle Boy, who comes out to a video of himself trying to spear a fish, which I didn't expect. Did you love the theme song, though? Of course I did. Okay, good. Of course I did. However, Jungle Boy clearly was trying to mitigate the amount that I enjoyed his entrance music. He was Mm -hmm. really walking a fine line here where, like, he's dressed as a small-time comedy character, which is what he still is. I think this match is trying to change that. He's he's walking a fine line here because he's trying to express the right amount of, like, I am still this positive character, and yet, despite the feel-good vibes, this is a serious day in the jungle. I mean, he already said pussy recently, so, like, I don't know what more you want from him. Okay, but at the same time, if Tarzan comes up to you and is like, me, Tarzan, want pussy, like, what... I don't know what your reaction is going to be, but surely you're like- What the fuck? Yes, you do. You've listened to hard choices. Okay, okay. But you're laughing while you do it, right? Like, that's funny. That's not like- Yeah, of course. It's adorable. Oh my God, like Tarzan said pussy. That's, you're (laughs) laughing. You're laughing at him. You're like, yeah, you know what? Come aboard, you fucking monkey man. Like, so he's, yeah, he's trying to convey like, this is, this is big stuff. Sadly, for Jungle Boy's aspirations of seriousness, his theme song entitled Tarzan Boy- it is calculated to induce silly dancing. It, it would get an exuberant pop at a state funeral. So the fish of dramatic tension will escape his spear this day. It's so fucking good. It is so goddamn good. I <sighs> feel like I feel 50% gayer when I hear that song. Really? Oh, yeah. No, that song is like... um. It is like Italian synth pop, I believe, is like the the kind of story of that particular band. But the hmm. lead singer is a gay guy from Northern Ireland. Um, it was like the one thing he did, uh, I think, before he died. But it's goddamn good. It's so fucking good. Okay. Well, you've, you've successfully killed my boner for this song. Why? Um, How? How? Because it was the one thing that a Northern Irish man did before he died? That's the story of things in Ireland and Northern Ireland. I don't know what the fuck to tell you. No, I should not say that. It's uh, true, though. Of course. Famously cheerful Northern Ireland. Famous, like, the world's greatest exporter of chuckles and guffaws. Northern Ireland, of course. Like, it's going to put me in a good mood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't you want to just like wave your hands back and forth just a little bit? Of course I do. And that's I, why I understand he's got a difficult job to do here. Anyway, it's time to wrestle. The action starts when Jungle Boy, uh, he's fighting smart. He does a lot of evasion, striking where he can. Uh, Luchasaurus almost gets him with a choke while Jungle Boy is trying to springboard off the ropes. The Jungle Boy leaps away and clings to the cage wall. Yeah! So he's a filthy, stubborn cat. And Luchasaurus is trying to wrestle him into a bath. Jungle Boy keeps up the offense, but his attacks don't do much. And as soon as Luchasaurus gets his hands on him, he hurls him, javelin style, into the wall of the cage facing hard camera so that he can rub his face into the cage in a cheese grater spot that shows off Jungle Boy's very early blade job. Is this not also where we see, like, the weird positioning of the cage where it's like, it's not on the apron, but it's not far away from the apron. Like, it's kind of about five inches away from it and so you have this weird like it, it is like a, just a space that a toddler could get stuck in is the space between <laughs> the fucking cage and the goddamn ring where you're like you could just like wedge a child in there but not a wrestler pediatricians recommend do not put your child down for a nap in an unforgiving steel cage that Yay! is what i've heard and there's a good reason for it yeah, the apron is the hardest part of the crib. You you really want to, like, <laughs> protect that. Anyway, Jungle Boy is now bleeding. A small, a little trickle. I'll, I'll update you as this proceeds. <laughs> JR asks how long Christian is going to work that cast uh, and notes that he's been working it longer than Mike Sharp. JR, I believe, once he has successfully shouted out every old wrestler he cares about, will just drop dead. Oh, I mean, maybe, but how dare you? He's living for these references. Luchasaurus hits some plodding offense and then hurls Jungle Boy into another wall of the cage, then another, then hard camera side again, followed by a crucifix throw into a cage wall. JR says the referee, uh, who, by the way, is Bryce Remsburg, yeah. Consider stopping the match at a certain point because really this is just Luchasaurus pounding on Jungle Boy. Taz says that is the ref's job, 
but he won't do it because these two signed up for a cage match and they want to settle things. Uh, that's what this is about. You're going to get some cage match discourse throughout this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real fucking Tumblr post. We are developing now a balance between the referee's responsibility to protect the wrestlers, protect their autonomy by protecting their health, versus the function of the cage match as a way to resolve a conflict in a way that requires this extreme level of violence, protecting their autonomy as protecting their choice to go beyond the bounds of the normal rules to settle an otherwise indissoluble conflict. Mm, mm. I sense an A on this term paper. Fortunately, when Luchasaurus lifts Jungle Boy's head up from the mat, we discover that it is soaked in blood. Classic. Jungle Boy probably going to die anyway, which makes this ethical calculation a lot easier. Big ups to Jungle Boy for helping us out uh, in this philosophical impasse about cage matches. Uh, from now on, I will be using Jungle Boy in all of my hypothetical uh, philosophical situations. <laughs> so this has been a stimulating theoretical conversation, but what about imperfect practice? Luchasaurus intimidates Bryce Remsburg. This creates a diversion, which Christian needs to grab the outside ref's keys and unlock the cage. The outside ref calls for the security team, which does drag Christian away, but the door is already open. Luchasaurus is out. Jungle Boy launches himself at Luchasaurus, but Luchasaurus catches him out of another attempted flashy running move down the ramp and catapults him into the cage, leaving him sprawling at ringside, smeared with photogenic blood mm -hmm. in the kind of voyeuristic camera shot normally reserved for showing off faces covered in other bodily fluids. Yep. Luchasaurus is putting a table in the ring now, and JR points out with indignation that with the door compromised, the, quote, structure of the almighty cage match has gone to hell, <laughs> which offers a counterpoint to this idea that, like, we should ignore the well-being of the wrestlers. They've chosen this. Okay, they've chosen this because of a rule structure that is now breaking down. <gasps> and so mm. even though this is meant to be an extremity in which the rules do not apply, nonetheless, there are rules which can be violated, which retroactively seems to undermine the concept of ignoring the well-being of these people to respect their autonomy. JR making killer points here on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Luchasaurus throws chairs into the ring, uh, perverting them from their nature as, as JR says, quote, sitting devices. <laughs> the insights from this man. I love wrestling commentary so goddamn much. <laughs> Only there will you get people just saying shit like that. Sitting devices. <laughs> Are you new to this planet? I, you know what? I, I love it. It's stupid. I wish everybody else was a little bit dumber, frankly. <laughs> Except Excalibur. He's the sexy nerd on commentary. He's allowed to be the sexy nerd. That's, yes. In an alternate world in which all of us are our Muppet babies selves, Excalibur gets to be Nanny. He's the one. Ooh, ooh, that's less sexy, but all right. You're not into Nanny? Okay, this is for your other podcast. Okay. I almost put her in honorable mentions for the Muppets episode. I'm um, hardly surprised. Luchasaurus throws Jungle Boy back in the ring. Uh, inside, Jungle Boy tries some offense, which doesn't do much, until he gets Luchasaurus over the ropes and can use the cage as a weapon, repeatedly stomping Luchasaurus's head into the unforgiving chain link mm. of the unforgiving steel cage. However, a back body drop on the apron puts Luchasaurus back in control. Luchasaurus tries to chokeslam Jungle Boy onto a chair, but Jungle Boy evades and springboards off the chair for a destroyer, which I always thought was a Canadian destroyer, whether or not you're Canadian, but I guess not. Anyway, this destroyer, regardless of nationality, it does not put Luchasaurus away for three. He kicks out. So Jungle Boy hits him with an unprettier on a chair. That doesn't get it either. Jungle Boy tries another destroyer, but this time Luchasaurus hits the chokeslam and flattens the chair. You see, because like Luch Jungle Boy saw the chokeslam coming, and so he countered it to the destroyer. Mm. But then Luchasaurus saw the destroyer coming, and so he countered it to the chokeslam because these two, these two know each other very well. Storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the best way to do it. If you just shout like whatever the underlying thing is of any given match, you've got me. Done. That's what I would do on commentary. This is why they should hire me. You don't need the long version. Just every time they do something like that, I just all yell, storytelling. <laughs> You're like Twitter, just like a fucking scream of a hashtag. <laughs> so the fight continues. Jungle Boy hits sliced bread, which I know is a move that many of the listeners of this podcast don't know. But I'm never 
ever going to miss an opportunity to call someone performing sliced bread. So fuck off. It's <laughs> sliced bread. Jungle Boy does sliced bread on Luchasaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, look it up on uh, Google it. You're here to learn. Chris does not speak for me. I am not here to learn, but. Well, you know what? That's not true. I was here to learn. I am no longer here to learn. I am now sitting backwards on my chair going, I dare you. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've gone on a, an emotional journey from not knowing move names to not caring about move names. I congratulate you. Luchasaurus sits up first, uh, but then Jungle Boy sits <gasps> up too. And he mouths some shit. He says some shit to him about like, you used to be my friend or something Aww. like that. They slug it out, but Luchasaurus wins with a headbutt. Mm. He hits him with punch after punch. Luchasaurus does. But... Jungle Boy keeps getting up, and eventually he wipes the blood off his forehead and fucking slaps Luchasaurus with it. Beautiful. And then hits Luchasaurus with a pile driver. Mm-hmm. Jungle Boy sets up a table. <gasps> the worst move you can make in any wrestling match, including a tables match, by the way. Because as soon as he sets up the table, Luchasaurus takes control, delivers multiple multiple power moves to Jungle Boy. Um, also tips over the table to avoid being put through it, which is a wonderful, like, smart move that I appreciate. Luchasaurus then sets up the table himself. But Jungle Boy comes back, jumps on his back, hits repeated sleepers until Luchasaurus falls over on the table. In keeping with the theme of high wrestling IQ, Jungle Boy, instead of just climbing up the cage where he's inevitably going to get knocked down, just goes ahead and like whacks Luchasaurus with a chair while he's on the table to reset his like stun timer or whatever. (laughs) Then climbs up the cage and hits a huge diving elbow drop through the table, then hits his, what I presume is his finisher, a snare trap for the submission win. Note that the cage is integral to Jungle Boy's win here. Mm-hmm. His offense was doing nothing until he used the cage as a weapon, but also the source of that big, oddly precise cut on his hairline mm-hmm. uh, that he suffered in the opening minutes of the match. Storytelling. <laughs> I don't know, man. That that elbow thing that he landed, I was like, ooh, he did not land enough on the table for my comfort. I was like, ooh, I hope your ankle's okay, <laughs> bud. You're young. You ain't that young. I hope so. I hope he's okay. I think he is. I think he bounced back all right. Anything else we want to say about this match? I I liked it a lot. Cage matches do very little for me. I was going to ask you cage matches, yeah or nay. Sounds like you're pro cage matches. What what is the boner of a cage match? This is what it is. Mm -hmm. The cage match, there's a proud tradition. The idea of the cage match is we've been fucking around doing pro wrestling stuff. How dare we pro wrestle in your pro wrestling? You want to see these two go at each other without any like managers running in, people getting tripped up, referees getting bumped, et cetera, et cetera. So cage match, we're going to settle this. The people who have a beef with each other are trapped inside. There's not going to be a DQ. There's not going to be a count out. There's not going to be somebody coming in, fucking things around. It's just these two or whoever fighting each other. The cage can be used as a weapon. So you get that little bit of escalation. Now, my preference is for the escape cage match. Mm. I don't know if you've seen Owen Hart versus Bret Hart. But I like, have never seen Owen Hart wrestle ever. Oh, okay. That w- This would be a great introduction. It, because these two, obviously, as brothers, like, train together. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Amazing opponents. And the idea of the cage match where you're looking to escape the cage is great because there's always a way to win at any given moment. You don't have to hit your opponent so hard. You don't have to make them tap out you have to create a situation where you can get over that cage wall. And sometimes that is like making a dash for it at the right moment. Sometimes that is struggling your way up. Sometimes that is like you're brawling on the cage and like one of you is going to fall off and then the other one's going to be able to make it over the top. Um, It creates a different way for the match to end. A different energy creates a possibility for winning that is like in a different situation than the normal victory conditions of a match. So I love a cage match for that reason. And then you inevitably have the turn where it's like, okay, we've set up the cage so that no one can interfere. But then when someone does interfere, it's like, oh, but now there's no disqualification. So there's no way to like right this karmic wrong, <laughs> except you could do like fucking Magnum TA or whoever did in that like legendary cage match and just like break a wooden chair and just like, like gouging your opponent's eye with broken wood until they Jesus. give up. Um, that's what you want from a cage match. You want like, this is beyond normal wrestling. This is personal to the extent that it's just like, Let's lock these men in a metal box and whoever comes out alive is the winner and this is done. Eh, you that, know what? Along with the psychology. Yeah. Okay. It, you're winning me over. Yeah. There are good cage matches. The problem with it is, as a gimmick, 
you don't have to engage the cage at all to have a cage match. It's different from like a ladder match where at some point somebody has to climb a ladder. Yeah. If you do a pin or submission cage match, if you want, you could just completely ignore the cage. Oh, I would enjoy that. I would find that very (laughs) pleasing. We're just like, oh, cage match? Oh, fuck you. There's, I mean, it's here, but like, no. Oh, mm, I love that shit. The fucking no DQ match where they're like, doesn't come into it. (sighs) Love it. Match number two, Death Triangle versus The Elite. Penta appears first in a Joker-themed costume. Reminds me specifically of Cesar Romero Joker, which I greatly appreciated. (laughs) Death Triangle makes their way to the ring and awaits the Elite. Taz notes that the Elite have been gone for a minute, as the kids say. Yeah! And then just when you think the dad energy can't rise any higher, the Elite enter to carry on my wayward son, and Taz does mouth guitar sounds. While the young bucks do air guitar and sing along. <sighs> These old men. Oh, oh, you are almost 40. Get the fuck off your high horse. Listen, you have to recognize the difference in generations. I was on YouTube the other day. Oh, wow. Like a young? And I saw a video. Uh-huh. It's like, here's a compilation of 80s songs. And do you want to know what the image for that video was? What? Classic cars at a fucking, like, a drive-in diner. <laughs> like the 1950s. Like, like yeah, like, famously <laughs> in the 80s, we were all driving around with our giant, like, boat-sized cars with the big fucking mm. fins on them, driving into the local diner. There is a difference. I'm not saying I'm not old. I'm saying I'm not the same generation of old as fucking Taz. <laughs> I'm sure I do embarrassing things. I know that I do, but what I don't do is listen to classic rock and go bow, 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 when the when the guitar goes. <laughs> but I'm just saying maybe you should, though. Disagree. Maybe you'd like it. <laughs> okay, okay. So you didn't pop for Carry On My Wayward Son. You know what? I liked it in Supernatural. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a specific thing. It's like, it's like yes, it is. brand identity for oh, Supernatural. The song. But here, I mean, it's fine. You helped me to like it more here because of your, like, wall-to-wall dad's comment last time. Oh, fuck yeah. And, and the Young Bucks helped, too. I know that the Young Bucks, they're definitely in on the joke. Like, they are aware the name of their team is going to get funnier the older they get. And oh yeah, the fact that these are two, like, clearly dads coming out to this song does make it better. Okay. You have to come out to a dad rock song. What dad rock song do you come out to? You know, so people know you're a cool dad. See, I was thinking the opposite. I I think I would choose one that, like, I'm not going to give anyone the misapprehension that I think that I'm cool by doing it. Okay. Maybe a Rod Stewart something. Solid. Solid. If you think I'm sexy, something like that. Okay. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, these dads emerge. They've been away from the ancestral homeland of the dad, AW, for a long time. (laughs) They're back now. They have a little entourage who they call in from the side, including Don Callis, who sits in on commentary. Yeah. Pac and Kenny Omega start off with some fast-paced counter-wrestling. They note on commentary that Death Triangle's hype man, your boy Alejandro, he's absent because he doesn't agree with Pac's ruthless philosophy of using the hammer to win matches. And that's really the story that's going to develop in this match. Death Triangle is split on whether they will win at any cost. This is becoming a big rift in the team. And we get some nice low-key expression of this up front with Pac taking advantage during a referee back-off spot, like during the opening kind of counter-wrestling. He's got Kenny in the corner. The referee backs them apart. And then Pac kicks Kenny Omega like, I'm the rule breaker. I'm the one who takes advantage of the rules to express who he is on his team. Storytelling. Pack bails and we get double tags to Ray Phoenix and Nick Jackson. They both do this like slow burn tit for tat sequence, repeatedly countering each other's flashy moves, which builds to a gigantic, silly mirror image spot involving both Bucks, both Lucha Bros, which ends with all four men kicking each other in the head and falling down in unison, then doing synchronized kip ups. Chef kiss. Yeah, it's silly wrestling and I do not mind it. It's great. The Bucks take down all three members of Death Triangle with super kicks, then tag in Kenny, who goes after Pac, but Pac bails. That leaves Omega with Penta in the ring. With some helps from the Bucks in the corner, he deals with Penta. The three of them also take out Ray Phoenix. Then Kenny Omega charges Pac and knocks him to ringside. The Bucks then dive onto Pac, and then Nick Jackson, who's kind of slumped against the barricade, sips, or maybe stage sips if he's smart, 
a dark drink that he is offered by a fan reaching over the barricade with a cup. Yeah. Is it iced coffee? As commentary suggests, is it Coke? Is it rum and Coke? All I know is if they are not selling 32-ounce plastic cups of rum and Coke at AEW events, they ought to, because that is the correct drink in the correct amount for this <laughs> pay-per-view. Uh, that's, yeah, because we didn't even watch the motherfucking buy-in. Oh, yeah. listen, I've had, as you know, if you're a faithful listener, I've had rum and Coke watching wrestling. This is the time. If A personal endorsement from Chris Newton. If you want to feel like you've been super kicked excessively, make it a 32-ounce rum and Coke. Kenny Omega gets back on Penta, but Pac dashes in to dropkick Omega's injured knee from the side and take back over with stomps. Pac is bleeding from the nose at this point. Yeah, he is. It's, it is not a photogenic, like, wrestler cut. No. Like Jungle Boy who cut his hairline. This is like he broke his nose, and so he's got that, like, blotch of blood right in the middle yeah. like he is a jelly-filled pack. It looks not quite right, which is, like, real good in wrestling sometimes oh yeah no that's like oh man you're gonna make out with him after you're gonna taste that shit <laughs> go ahead and add broken noses to the list of things bob is hot for which i no longer maintain just to be clear <laughs> i do have a child i, I cannot came out very clearly pro broken noses whenever it came to kevin owens so like I feel like I've been extremely open about my preference for a broken nose. Pack and Penta trade off fighting for a while until Ray Phoenix tags in. Uh, Mac Jackson responds with two Northern Light suplexes on Ray Phoenix and a third one on both Lucha Brothers when Penta runs in to help. However, the Lucha Brothers come back with the dreaded taint drop kick, whereupon has <laughs> diagnosis Matt with a crushed yam bag. Yeah, fucking love it. Oh, man. Anytime. Taz says yambag, uh, drink. Technically incorrect. This is a common culinary mistake. A young buck's testicles are properly referred to not as his yambag, but as his two sweet potatoes. Just to be clear. <laughs> Nevertheless, the elite and uh, they're, they're pretty clearly on top of the match at this point. Even with teamwork in their corner and pack ambushing Omega off the apron, Death Triangle is getting nowhere. The, the young bucks are very strong in this match, dominating Death Triangle until they're able to force a confrontation between Omega and Pac. Omega hits some very impressive Snapdragon suplexes on Penta and Pac, then nails a huge dive on them both after a Terminator clap, <laughs> which JR is very sarcastic about. I don't know what is in, like, I think it's in JR's contract. that He is just allowed to shit on whatever he doesn't like. <laughs> the Young Bucks attempt to dive of their own. Uh, they're momentarily countered, but Matt DDT's Ray Phoenix on the fucking apron. You can hear the pain in the voices of commentary when this happens. Uh, mm. Nick Jackson Rana's Penta onto the assembled teams at ringside right off the turnbuckle. And we're right back to Omega versus Pac. Omega charges Pac, but Pac fights back with a released German suplex. And when the Bucks try to assist, Death Triangle intervenes in their big triple team move with a counter into a synchronized triple tombstone on the Elite. A tombstone pile driver for every member of the Elite, followed by Death Triangle doing all their big moves on the Bucks. A black arrow from Pac onto a Kenny Omega's back to finish up. Then Pac locks in the Brutalizer, a submission move, and Kenny Omega's in trouble. But Nick Jackson breaks up the pin. Uh, Ray Phoenix is limping now, but toughs it out to hit a bunch of top rope foot-based offense, which I do question. <laughs> ending with a, a, a jumping, like, off-the-top rope double stomp, which is like the perfect encapsulation of babyface idiocy. <laughs> like... How dare you talk about my son that way? Listen, my leg is in agony right now, but I'm not going to submit to injustice by fighting evil with any other method but hard stomps delivered from high places. <laughs> hard stomping is who I am. Storytelling. He's a good boy. He's uh, he's good and dumb. Yes, he is. He's a he's a yeah, baby face through and through. Yeah, I raised him. I'm very proud of him. <laughs> when Phoenix has the better of Omega, Pac throws the hammer to him, but Phoenix refuses to use it. And Omega hits the Tiger Driver 98, which is a big pile driver move. Don't worry about it. It's named after a tiger. Don't let that confuse you. It's just a pile driver, kind of. Phoenix kicks out. Again, I love your principles, Ray Phoenix Jr. You're a wonderful person. Moral arc of the universe, etc., etc. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Listen. Ray Phoenix didn't blow his opportunity to beat Kenny Omega here because he was virtuous. He blew it because it took him like a full three minutes to remember what you're supposed to do with a hammer you don't intend to use. 
The answer is put it down. He's a dummy. He's a baby face and therefore a dummy. That is why. That is why he did not get his win. I like dumb boys. They're my favorite. The Elite hit big trio moves on Penta and Phoenix. Pac bails Phoenix out of a pin. But then Pac is running into Nail Omega with the hammer when Nick cuts him off with a super Mm -hmm. kick. Kenny sets up Ray Phoenix for the one-winged angel, but Pac manages to pass Phoenix the hammer as he goes up. (gasps) And this time, Phoenix groggily uses the hammer and rolls up Kenny Omega for the three count. Yes, he does. Because my son is not that stupid. Oh, no, he did this because he was groggy. He did this because his dumb brain was sufficiently rocked that he was he was not capable physically of being dumb enough in the moment not to use the hammer. That is what happened. You could see him, you could see him doing this. He was like, whoa, whoa, where am I? I don't, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. I'm like... Like if this, if I were on trial for this, I would be clinically insane. I have no concept of the consequences of my actions. <laughs> Bam, hammer on the head. He's out, and then he pins Kenny Omega. It's great storytelling. Don't get me wrong, because like, do you want to do you want to shout that just for storytelling? Yes, beautiful. Yes, he 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 missed the pin on Omega the first time because he didn't use the hammer. It caused him hesitation. The second time he was groggy, didn't know quite what he was doing. Used the hammer, got the win. However, you can argue he missed the win the first time because Pac threw the hammer to him and it, it overloaded his dumb good brain. <clears throat> so maybe if Pac hadn't been there, he would have won it the babyface way. So this is where mm. the division in the team is causing difficulties. The moral of the story is if you're ever going to do a bad thing, do all bad things. <laughs> it's advice from me to you and, and from Pac, who gives Ray Phoenix a delightful evil pep talk. This is pay-per-view, so Pac is allowed to curse. And so he just kind of like squats next to Ray Phoenix and motions over to the hammered Kenny Omega has just been hitting the head of the hammer. It's like, look at your work. Look at your fucking work. Look at your look at what you fucking did. You I'm so fucking proud of you. <laughs> That's not the worst version of like Newcastle battles I have heard. Because and those are tricky ones. I was only doing fucking because that's the way I wrote it in my notes. I wrote it with two O's because how could you not? No, I know. Yeah, I know. Fucking is almost a separate word from fucking, I feel. Yes. Anyway, Ray Phoenix is is disturbed by what he's done because he's still on the path to recovery from being decent. Uh, but I, I believe in pack to get him there. <laughs> Next up, we get a hype package for Nyla Rose versus Jade Cargill. We talked about this before. Remember, Nyla Rose stole the belt and... Jay Cargill wants it back because it's her belt. Storytelling. Storytelling. Match number three, Nyla Rose versus Jade Cargill. Uh, Nyla Rose enters in a low rider. Fuck yes, she does. Oh. <laughs> also it. in what appears to be Assassin's Creed cosplay. I don't know if there's a connection or if we're we're past the point of like that kind of thematic consistency in wrestling. And we're just admitting like we're all fucking nerds here. Like. Listen, I'm like you. I want to be driven around in a lowrider with Vicky Guerrero, and I want to dress up as a video game character. That's who I am. You get it. Okay. Yes. Time out. Go ahead. You're going to be driven in in some kind of car, dressed up as a video game character. Go. My favorite character from Chrono Trigger is not Robo. It is Frog. But I think if I dress up as Frog, I'm not going to be recognized unless I wear a frog costume and I can't wrestle in a frog costume. Chikara would beg to die. <laughs> Um, so yes, I dress up as Robo from Chrono Trigger, and I think that's recognizable, like, to the people who need to know, they know. In terms of the car, what the fuck, like, shooting the moon? Yeah. I have someone else there dressed as Fiona. Nice. Who's the extremely minor NPC who helped Robo restore the forest, and we're in a Prius. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, perfect. I want to be in golf cart, because it's terrible. But like a souped up golf cart. Like I want a golf cart with rims that spin. I want to be, I think, Melina. Because I want to have like the full makeup with all the like, I want to have like too many teeth. Once Nyla Rose has completed her entrance, we then get the entrance of Jade Cargill. Not to be out nerded, she Uh, enters in Chitara inspired gear (laughs) with a stick to break. It's very yummy. If you haven't looked at it, go Google it. Do yourself a fucking favor. Mm-hmm. You've been good this week. She's got cheetah print in her hair. This is, I understand the allure of this gear. The referee holds up the belt. 
per standard procedure before the match. But when she hands it off to Jade's entourage, because Jade is the champion, even though Nyla stole the belt, Nyla goes out to try to take it back by force, which draws Jade out to brawl with her. Jade then rolls her back in the ring to throw strikes in the corners. JR on commentary points out that uh, Jade doesn't have the power advantage over Nyla, which may change the situation from what we're used to seeing from Jade. Jade has very specific skills, and God bless her for it. Uh, Nyla charges Jade, Jade evades, and Nyla tumbles outside. Jade follows and pump kicks her into the crowd. The story of the match hasn't really begun yet, though. And I don't know if you picked up on this, Bob. I picked up on how hot Jade Cargill is and how much I love watching Nyla Rose just make faces. So I was happy. It's when Jade dumps Nyla back over the barricade and then clutches her midsection and then fixes her shit. And like, listener, you cannot see what I'm doing. Put yourself back, sensory memory, any women's match you've ever seen. Somebody jumps over the top rope, uh-huh. dives onto a bunch of other women outside. Everybody's laying on the ground. We get a shot of that. What are they all doing? They're fixing their shit. You, you've <laughs> got to get your tits back in your back in your gear before you continue to wrestle. It's true. They will wander everywhere if you don't watch them like a goddamn hawk. And it appears to depend upon the construction of the gear, which in this case was extremely deficient. I, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this is the story of the match. I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do. I don't know what kind of storytelling they were attempting here. But we see tit one. And it's like, okay, the rest of this match is about protecting these. Uh, So I did keep track. Jade fixes her shit again as Nyla goes for a pin. Then Jade fixes her shit. She struggles to her feet, fixes her shit yet again. (sighs) Oof. Gets scoop slammed. Fixes her shit again. Jade fixes her shit again as Nyla goes for a pin, then kicks out and fixes her shit. Jade feeds into the corner, fixes her shit. Takes a senton, fixes her shit. Crawls along the rope with her tit just hanging out. And takes a punch in the corner, then fixes her shit. Jade throws an elbow. Jade fixes her shit. She catches her breath. Jade climbs to the second rope. Jumps down with a flying nothing and catches Nyla's boot to her face with such impact that Jade barely has time to fix her shit as she's falling to the mat. (laughs) Then she fixes her shit again. In Jade's defense, she got some shit to fix, so. That is true. Nyla hits a neck breaker. Jade fixes her shit, then kicks out of the pin. Nyla shows frustration while Jade fixes her shit. Nyla picks up Jade by the hair, but Jade fights back with strikes. Nyla and Jade both try suplexes, but struggle in vain until Nyla strings Jade over the top rope where Jade fixes her shit helplessly and her other shit, concealing her butt a tiny bit. Yeah. She isn't even paying attention to the fact that her butt is just completely exposed here because she's so busy fixing her other shit. But she fixes all of her shit uh, as, as Nyla hits a diving knee drop. That leaves Jade fixing her shit before a pin attempt from which she kicks out and then fixes her shit. Jade reverses a powerbomb attempt then kind of hunches over onto the mat. Her body language from this point on, it's just like all like arms over her midsection, like any emotion. I am watching Chris Newton now do the like, <laughs> the the like, oh, I'm making out with myself like thing that you do <laughs> from the back. And like, you know, whenever you're 14, you're like, oh, look at this shit. No, it's <laughs> beautiful. This is amazing. Jade rolls on her back and fixes her shit. Jade goes for the cover. Nyla powers out and Jade elaborately fixes her shit right on camera while selling. Like, oh, that hurt. Let me just, like, look down and, like, definitely, like, okay, take this in order. Left tit, okay, grab, okay, fix, perfect. Now, onto the right tit. Let me just grab this, take a look, fix, okay, perfect. One final quality assurance check, done. Jade stands and hits Nyla with elbows. Do-si-do, Irish whip. Jade gets the better of it and hits a beast bomb, but Nyla kicks out, and Jade fixes her shit twice while trying to decide what manner of offense to use next. Jade goes for Jaded, but there's a horrible counter sequence between the two. Perhaps they are distracted. Followed by Nyla hitting Jaded on Jade, who actually fixes her shit during the false finish while being (laughs) pinned before kicking out at two. I mean, otherwise, what if that shit just wanders out there? Like, that's going to be a whole thing. She tweeted about this and she was wearing nipple covers. It's fine. You should have just, at a certain point, it's like, okay, you know what? The tits are out. Like, (laughs) I'm not going to get the same kind of shit from Twitter that I'm going to get for fucking up this whole match. 
if I just let my tits just hang free. Like, they're, they're in nipple covers. It's fine. I don't know, man. It depends on how good those nipple covers are. You're, they're being asked to put up with a lot. I'm like, are these military grade? Like, what are these rated for? Are these off-roading nipple covers? <laughs> I love the idea that in the military, they, they issue these and they're like, whatever happens. Yeah, you keep them nips. Whatever covered. happens, we cannot. Don't let the terrorists win. Keep your <laughs> keep your nipples under these. You save these boners for America. <laughs> let me just take a moment to say because I'm giving her so much shit. I really like Jade Cargill here. I really liked her in the build up. Yeah, and she is like obviously green, but still impressive. A lot of presence. Oh fuck yeah! Anyway. Rejoining the match, Jade has just kicked out of a cover. Nyla can't believe it. Jade rolls into position for a dive, then fixes her shit, then dodges a flying senton before hitting a pump kick, and then jaded on Nyla, uh, whose <laughs> legs she clings to for life. Like, oh, <laughs> finally, some big <laughs> things to put in front of my chest in this fucking match. <laughs> she pins her while facing away from hard cam, by the way. Four three. That is always how, like, that. that is how she always pins for Jaded. Jade poses with the belt while her entourage fans her, and we go to a hype package for the four-way fight for the ROH title coming up next. Do you want to give me any other thoughts about uh, Jade versus Nyla? It's kind of short. I feel like it was a bit of a cool-down match, which I didn't love, but given the fact that Jade was wearing an outfit that was going to fight her every goddamn step of the way, probably for the best that it was a quick one. Yeah. I don't know if it was shortened at all. I don't... There was an extended sequence with, like, Jade and Nyla fighting over a suplex that definitely felt like, okay, let's put our heads together. Like, what the fuck are we going to do about this? Because, like, my tits are fully going to come out of this outfit. <laughs> uh, Jade... Cargill doesn't usually do super long matches. I, I don't remember her ever doing like a really long match. I think her longest has been like 20 minutes. She came in as like just a person who was just super hot and everybody's like, oh, goddamn. And she hadn't she didn't wrestle for a while. And then there was uh, the lead up to a tag match. This was against Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet, I believe. It was Jade Cargill and Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Shaquille O'Neal took a bump onto some tables and obviously went through them. But it was like he he fell like he was just like just a deadfall. Not like he'd been mm. pushed or anything, but just like, ugh. <laughs> it was like, oh, good, I'm done. And <laughs> can he move? No. The answer is no. <laughs> Fucking of course he can't move. <laughs> It was very odd to watch. Jade Cargill did get the win over Red Velvet, which is a bit of a shame because Red Velvet definitely is better in the ring. But Jade Cargill's come a long fucking way. I also, now, I might be remembering this wrong. I might be remembering this wrong, but I don't think I am. I think what happened is, you know, obviously Shaquille O'Neal's dead now. So they, you know, they they bundle him up and they get him onto the, into the ambulance. <laughs> And then, like, they go away. The camera, like, goes away and they go do some other stuff and then they come back. And then he's, like, they they open the back of the ambulance and it's, like, oh, God, he's disappeared. <laughs> it's, like, a fucking magic trick. Like, for real? <laughs> yes. I believe that's oh what happened. God. As though, like, <gasps> was he ever there at all? Did this match <laughs> even happen? And it was, like, what? That wasn't Shaquille O'Neal. That was fucking Kazam. Yes, I know. I was, like, is this Kazam? Because if it's Kazam, I'm all the fuck in. But if this is like Shaquille O'Neal, then I'm like, no, fucking go find that wounded ass old man. <laughs> go get him back in there. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, you've, you've very succinctly kind of set out my opinion of Jade Cargill. Uh, I do think that Shaquille O'Neal is a genie in real life. Um, match number four. <laughs> Claudio Castagnoli versus Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara versus Jericho. Ian Riccoboni joins the commentary booth for this match. He's adorable. I love him. He's such a goddamn dork. I can hear the Coke bottle glasses, and I want to kiss him. 
Uh, Claudio enters first, followed by Brian Danielson, whose entrances we've seen on, and talked about on the show before. What we haven't talked about, that after the Jericho Appreciation Society voiceover, Sammy Guevara has an individual entrance in which he comes out to some anime shit uh, with Sammy beating up other AEW wrestlers in the style of Dragon Ball Z. Sammy comes out wearing a cape that obviously is a reference, but I don't know it. Do you? <sighs> no, I have no idea what the fuck it is. But I was like, that is a either like very bold Halloween party move or like maybe it's my birthday and you promised this was the fuck you were going to give me if I wore this. And it it just screams, I want to wear this. And you have to put up with me wearing it. It is a lot. It, it, so it's a green cape. It's got a big, like, collar. It's a full-on Dracula collar, but, like, up to this boy's fucking ear tips. It's got S and G on, like, these straps that go down from the cape to the waistband of his trunks. The S and the G are kind of... They would be covering his nipples, except that S's and G's are not really made for that. So they're just kind of, like hanging out around his nipples and also their leather so they'd look like just weird instead of anything also shoulder tusks what what the fuck ever that is for in a hotter cooler guy holding on to in sammy guevara fuck knows you were talking about like halloween parties this is a guy who's gotten laid at a lot of halloween parties i feel oh um Oh, I hate him extra now. After Sammy Guevara has entered, finally Jericho enters with Ankh on his necklace and music that makes everybody want to sing along. To his great credit, Jericho just like stays casual and soaks it up. Mm-hmm. He he does not feel the need to like steal the spotlight from himself, which it would be such like the amateur move here. Referee Aubrey Edwards takes the belt and presents it to the crowd, and it is time to wrestle. So this match is all about two storylines, basically. Um, how much the Blackpool Combat Club of Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli will cooperate versus how much they'll compete, and especially how much the Jericho Appreciation Society of Jericho and Sammy Guevara will do the same. Meanwhile, while the story is playing itself out, we've got four hard wrestling motherfuckers out there filling in every bit of space between these plot points with fun to watch, but miserable to describe wrestling. So yep. I'm going to describe this match in 11 story beats. Beautiful. And that's it. Number one, at the top of the match, it's Blackpool Combat Club members versus Jericho Appreciation Society. Claudio takes Jericho outside while Danielson brawls with Sammy in the ring. Relationship status of the Jericho Appreciation Society, happy face. Plot point two, Jericho gets trapped between Claudio and Danielson in the ring, and they both beat on him. Sammy sort of stumbles in after Jericho, trying to fight back, and then he takes a beating from both members of Blackpool Combat Club as well. So far, babyface teamwork prevails. Blackpool Combat Club relationship status, flexing arm, happy face. Plot point three. After they've dispatched the heels, Danielson and Claudio shake hands, and they look to the crowd. Yeah! Then they start hammering each other with uppercuts. It's pure power and striking ability from Claudio versus wrestling finesse from Brian Danielson as the two have a back-and-forth exchange until Jericho runs in and hits a big stomp to break up the pin. Ugh. Then preens for the crowd, as though putting the cherry on top of this Sunday makes him the true master of wrestling in this ring. It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Blackpool Combat Club relationship status, cherry emoji, sad face emoji. Plot point number four. When Danielson and Claudio have Jericho in a shared Boston crab, so like one of them has one leg, one of them has the other. It's very romantic. Mm Mm-hmm. Sammy dives off the turnbuckle to wipe them both out and make the save. He immediately tries pinning Claudio, then Danielson. Both of them kick out. Only after that does Jericho hug Sammy and hit their big pose together. Uh, then they start in double teaming Danielson. Relationship status of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Hands together emoji, two arms, but uh-huh. smiley face emoji with an eyebrow. <gasps> Gasp. Yeah. Number five, when Danielson is down, 
Jericho tells Sammy to wait while Jericho pins him. Sammy is not happy, uh, and Danielson kicks out. When Jericho goes back to working Danielson, Sammy Guevara elbows his way in to take over his share of the beatdown. Like, no, don't don't chop that whole chest. I want to chop 50% of that chest. I am a stakeholder <laughs> member in the Jericho Appreciation Society. That is my half a chest. In his defense, Brian Danielson bruises real goddamn pretty. Jericho Appreciation Society, relationship status, smiley face, smiley face with eyebrow. We're beginning to see some dissension in the ranks. Plot point number six, when they're both vulnerable on the mat, Sammy Guevara, Brian Danielson, Jericho springboards off the middle rope to lion salt them both, willingly hitting his partner. Jericho Appreciation Society relationship status, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. (gasps) One exclamation mark, I'm an expressive person. Two exclamation marks, I'm Yakov Smirnoff. Three exclamation marks? (laughs) I am truly shocked. Plot point number seven. After Jericho gets the better of Claudio and goes for a pin, Sammy pulls Jericho off to a big crowd reaction. Commentary points out that these two have been working together since episode one of AEW. Sammy and Jericho have a shoving match, which escalates to forearms and chops, and even a submission attempt, Lion Tamer, before... Danielson and Claudio intervene because their unity is still unbroken because they are baby faces and therefore cowards. <laughs> Blackpool Combat Club relationship status, two arms, hands interlinked. Jericho Appreciation Society status, face with flat mouth. <gasps> the most grievous. You do not want to get this from your partner. Sad face. Hey, I'm sorry for you, baby. Like Or like, uh, it's too bad. Like whatever is going on with you is too bad. Flat face, we are fucking fighting. Things are not great in the Jericho Appreciation Society right now. Plot point number eight. Danielson and Claudio renew their stablemate bonds by putting Jericho into two submissions at once. It's very kinky. But Sammy launches big kicks to get Jericho free. Sammy and Jericho shake hands, but Sammy suckers in Jericho and hits him with a GTH. And then a shooting star press. He covers, but he gets only two. And he immediately sinks into the distinctive helpless confusion of a 20-something dude who realizes that his cunning plan has failed to account for the possibility of anything going wrong. (laughs) Sammy does not know what to do from this point, and as they say, he who hesitates is lifted bodily above Claudio Castagnoli's head and hurled out of the ring like a trash bag full of styrofoam into a garbage truck. This is a huge (sighs) throw. This is a military press like, let me lift up your entire body horizontally and hurl you out of the ring. It's only right and just. It is what one should do with Sammy Guevara at any given opportunity. Just bodily hurl him out of the way of cameras. Jericho Appreciation Society status, upside down smiley face. This is Sammy (gasps) Guevara being hurled out of the ring in a state of total confusion. Poignant? I don't know if this relationship will ever recover. Plot point number nine. Danielson and Claudio have a great wrestling exchange showing off their respective strengths that only ends when Sammy intervenes to take them both down. Ugh. Blackpool Combat Club relationship status. Angry face, angry face. One angry face in a relationship, bad news. Two angry faces, good news. This is a bonding experience. Yeah. Plot point number 10. As the match closes, Danielson tries to ambush Claudio with a dive, but Claudio catches him and hits a neutralizer on the outside, taking Danielson out. The neutralizer, perhaps the most countered move in wrestling, but you can hit it on your friend. The bond there, like he ambushed you, he knows he deserves this. A part of his body is like, yes, punish me. Blackpool, combat club, relationship status, face with X eyes. Danielson is out. Plot point number 11. The last one. Sammy (gasps) almost pins Claudio after reversing a neutralizer and putting his feet on the ropes. But he gets only a two, and then he takes a giant swing from Claudio. Jericho jumps over the swinging Sammy to allegedly hit a Judas effect for the three count. To lightly graze Claudio Castagnoli, one of the most powerful men in the universe. (laughs) And and Claudio Castagnoli has to go, I guess I'll fall down. (laughs) Like, you're, I, I, okay, bud. 
He did the best he could. It's a goddamn shame. In my mind, you redo that spot. Like, it would have been great if it worked. I, I, I can see them sitting in a room thinking, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fucking great. Like, it's perfect storytelling-wise. Storytelling. But if you then barely connect with Claudio, you, you got to fucking do it again. I'm sorry. It's very hard to hit a spinning man. Jericho gets the three here, which means he is still the ROH champion. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah. The ROH championship, I think, built tremendously by this match. They're really telling the story of, like, Jericho building this legacy despite himself. The stakes are getting actually higher and higher, which is very deft storytelling. This is Chris, and Grapple fans, you're about to hear my voice alone here for a few minutes at the end of the episode. And I have to apologize because I did this with my hubris. When Bob and I recorded about the upcoming match, I kept pronouncing Soraya as Soraya. Bob tried to correct me, warned me that this was a big thing in AEW. Soraya, not Soraya. I would not listen. Thus, we were cursed. We had pervasive background noise on the track, as I deserved. And so I have to re-record this segment at the last minute by myself. Don't worry, I'm just going to cover the high points. And believe me, that will not take long. We begin with the hype package for Soraya versus Britt Baker. Britt Baker, you see, believes this to be her house, while Soraya contends that it's her house. Uh, that is all this feud is, at least going by the pitch we get here tonight. Soraya came to AEW, walked right up to Britt and said, by the way, I live here now. This is my house. I mean, the house I used to live in was my house. So why would this house not be my house? So this is my house and uh, I'm a squatter and I'll fight you. Thus, a match. Namely, match number five, Soraya versus Britt Baker. Soraya skips to the ring after having something that commentary puts over as a big emotional moment on the ramp for her return, but it barely registers for me. I'm not like a Soraya super fan, but I know and like her from her days as Paige in WWE, um, watched her in NXT. It's not like I have no connection to her. I just don't see a lot of feelings to latch onto here. She looks happy to be wrestling again, but not like joyous reunion happy. It's like happy with your internet provider happy. Surya's brother is at ringside tonight, by the way. It doesn't really matter, uh, but it's going to come up later, obviously. Um, <laughs> a, a rifle on the wall in Act 1 of a play has nothing on a wrestler's relative sitting at ringside. You know that shit's coming up, so just be forewarned. Uh, next, Britt Baker comes out to an entrance video that Megan Bob was wildly remiss never to tell me about. I'm not sure what I expected from the entrance of like a war dentist, um, I, I don't have the whole Britt Baker context, but it's it's everything you would want. This is video footage of teeth being destroyed. It is CGI skulls. It is dentistry footage. It is dripping blood. Also match footage of Britt Baker laughing with a bloody nose, which is a large part of the reason that we had to re-record this segment, because when I found out about this shit, me and Bob together, it just has a very powerful effect on both of us. You, you are not going to find two people more drawn to a strong, bleeding woman, in a respectful way, like, obviously. Anyway, the entrance video reminds me of Mortal Kombat, actually, which has a lot of overlap with pro wrestling, and let me put it out there, Britt Baker is my dark horse candidate to be a real pro wrestler included in a Mortal Kombat game. Mean Bitch Who Wants Your Teeth is a better Mortal Kombat character than most Mortal Kombat characters. I haven't played Mortal Kombat in a little while. Do we have fatalities that are about teeth? That would be fucking phenomenal. So putting it out into the universe, let this woman destroy teeth. Earthrealm, Outworld, she deserves it. Speaking of the celebrity of Britt Baker, on commentary, JR says that while Soraya and Britt aren't champions, they run the locker room and are the two biggest names. Uh, they are the biggest deals in the division. That's a weird thing to say, uh, particularly about Soraya, who just got to AEW. Nonetheless, Bob assures me that Baker at least is on the top of the division, despite not being champion, even though I'm not sure you want to say that. I do have some context for that. Uh, Undertaker was that way sometimes in WWE, where there were times when beating the champ didn't prove you were serious the same way beating the Undertaker could. This is a similar situation uh, from what I gather, with the important distinction that instead of being a demon-possessed undead being, Britt Baker is a dentist, which is not a gimmick I associate with like transcendent power. It's not one of your most intimidating professions. Although, you know, maybe Britt Baker is going to become such a big star that she elevates dentistry. 
Anyway, this match is framed as a conflict between the two de facto biggest names in the division, even though they're not champions. Uh, and this match will in no way live up to the interesting framing. Spoilers for this match. The bell sounds, and we get a stare down to start. From there, it's a lot of hair pulling, uh, theatrically slamming each other's heads onto the mat, all the greatest hits of bad women's wrestling. Britt tackles Soraya during the early going, and Soraya at first seems to be hurt, but after the referee checks on her, she reveals that she was faking it, just to be cheeky, which which probably would be charming if we could see it, uh, but it happens on hard cam with Soraya's back turned to the viewer, so it's just kind of hazy what's going on, doesn't get much reaction. Soraya throws a kick that sends Britt out of the ring, but when Soraya tries to slide under the ropes and hit Britt feet first, Britt intercepts and attacks her leg to take control. Uh, she takes Soraya over in front of her brother and, and beats her up in front of her brother, who handles this with the kind of maturity and positivity that you hate to see in pro wrestling. Uh, no big reaction from Soraya, either. Britt Baker... Britt Baker is being as mean as she can be, and throughout the match... Soraya looks like she's winning a Kids' Choice Award. Like, she's, you know, like, she's here. That's great. She looks like she'd rather win than lose. Uh, but but she wrestles this match with the vacant eyes of a person pretending to give a shit about a little orange blimp statue. And it's not just her face. Soraya almost goes limp during all of this, just keeps taking a pounding for a while, aside from a, a few flashes of offense. Uh, our commentary team distraction-prone at the best of times, is so eager for something to talk about that they turn to the old thing about winners in wrestling matches making more than losers. Like, you see, this match matters a lot because at the end of the night, at the pay window, you get paid more for a match that you won than a match that you lost. And so if you string a number of wins together, take-home pay is much higher. You're going to be able to make those mortgage payments. And, and this happens all the time in wrestling, and I don't even mind it intrinsically, but the fact that commentary has been reduced to talking about this during the return match of a major star like Soraya is a huge indictment of this match. It's not like the commentary says nothing about the story of the match, though. Uh, JR does take time to shit on the My House cliche that these two have been relying on. I don't think it's necessarily a good idea for JR to attack the premise of the feud, uh, but I also think he's right, number one. Uh, and also, I think it's not just a cliche, it's the fact that Soraya is making such a, a feeble claim on the fucking house. Like, how are we supposed to get behind this? It doesn't come off as aggressive. It's like, this is my house, this is my couch in the living room, in my house, and I am going to take a nap. That's the energy that I get from Soraya. This is like, fuck off and let me sleep. You know, actually, personal story, I worked at one time with a woman who came into work so drunk one day, she clocked in sat down on a chair that, that we used for breaks and immediately fell asleep. That's who Soraya is in this match. And we are collectively the break chair. When the air quotes action moves back outside the ring, uh, we get some mild stuff on the apron, capped off with a low energy, it's my house, catch me dive from Soraya. The match honestly got so slow and boring at this point that I legit had trouble transcribing it because a move would happen and I'm poised to like write down the next move that happens, and I would lose focus. I would get distracted before the next move. And meanwhile, commentary is onto their D material, talking about like how rope breaks work. Like, do you have to touch the rope or do you just break the plane of the ropes? Um, how valuable cardio is, just all-purpose educational material. It's like they're giving us a worksheet to keep us busy for the remainder of the match. Uh, Soraya, meanwhile, is in the spotlight of AEW in this moment, and it's shocking that she's throwing to the commentators like this. Like, you vamp, I'm just going to have this dentist carry me around for a while. Anyway, Britt stays on offense until Soraya hits a sunset flip powerbomb, uh, although maybe hit is too active a verb for something Britt has to do almost entirely to herself. We get neck breakers from Britt Baker, lots of them. Uh, the portion of the crowd that has read The Secret tries to start a This Is Awesome chant with adorable optimism. Uh, they, however, get a dueling no-it's-not chant in response. Uh, and finally, some of the more tactful fans start dueling let's go Soraya DMD chants, which you'll notice aren't statements of opinion. They're just sort of best wishes. It's positive and yet damning. It's like, you look like you're having fun. Anyway, Soraya hits her finisher twice, whatever the fuck she's calling it now, the Soraya Turner. Um, she gets the pin and now, finally showing some emotion, she hugs her brother and walks up the ramp. I'm not going to characterize Megan Bob's feelings about this match. Uh, I think they were definitely more forgiving than I was. But 
they can articulate that for themselves if they care to. Like anyone is going to give a shit about this match ever again. What I will say is that I was listening to Diamond Dallas Page on a podcast, and he was saying he does one move on the indies. He goes to a show, and some indie guy like calls him out. DDP goes out there, hits the diamond cutter on him. That's it. If that's what you feel comfortable doing, and this is like no shade on DDP, he is he is an enlightened yoga master. He knows his body and himself. If he feels like what he needs to be doing out there in the ring is one diamond cutter, I think he's I think he's right. There was a way to do this where Soraya comes in with her, you know, PowerPoint presentation promo and it's like, slide one, this is my house. Slide two, I'm better than all of you. Then somebody raises their hand and crashes the PowerPoint presentation and says, you're not so tough. You're not better than me. Then she hits him with the Soraya Turner. That's it. And that would be fine. Like it's pro wrestling. I wouldn't have been overly excited for that segment or storyline or whatever it would be, but I would have understood and accepted it. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I do want somebody like Soraya to be able to work and contribute what they can to the show. But this was a match with a build. And I think in those terms, it was pretty disappointing. It's like, why come back to wrestle if you're barely going to? However, I would not say this match was pointless because it taught me forever that the correct way to say her name is Soraya. And if I ever forget again, may the audio gods strike me down and crash my recording software mid-episode to punish me. I am a podcaster, and I should be punished for my pride. There's a reason they call it audacity. Anyway, here's Megan Bob to say goodbye. All right, come back next time, and we will finish up this then. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, and this week edited by me, Chris Newton, with logo designed by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMoFo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook as The Next Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can follow Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The Next Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nextwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And I would know, I am one. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to email us at nextwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thunderfrog. did insist on like one arm hugging me at a merch table and i clearly (gasps) did not want him to i oh you know what but that hammer i don't know what kind of moral standard frog odin is holding people to not high enough is my feeling frog odin not frog thor frog odin is the one who sets the moral standard for the hammer and then frog thor has to live up Uh, to to the hammer sorry i i simply do not know that much about frogs